previously on Reading in Church and Other Distractions. This woman stays with Jesus and is unique in the entire book of John. So after we emphasize some of these things in New Testament survey, we just spent a day or two on John, I say, there's, there's one, one counterexample. Okay, there's one person who's able to have a profound theological discussion. And I say, for double bonus points. And then that gets your attention for <laughs> yeah, some reason. Right, right. So how much is that worth? That, well, it's hard to calculate, but it looks good on a resume. <laughs> in today's competitive job market. Sure, sure. They, like Bitcoin. Employers like <laughs> to see double bonus points. <laughs> and usually no one guesses it. I say, or, or I usually have to say. I say, it's a trick question because mm-hmm. it's a woman. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't. So here's the problem. They don't groan when I say that. Oh. I, I try to make it as sexist a statement as possible. I say, that's a sexist statement. You're supposed to groan or say, wake up and smell the 21st century or something. But hmm. uh, Or the first century in this case. Yeah, right? it's troubling. Yeah, exactly. Welcome to Reading in Church and Other Distractions with Rob and Mike. Well, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Robert Wallace. I'm Michael McKeever. And we are in the fourth Sunday in Lent. Uh, year A, so 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13, Psalm 23, so maybe I can find something hmm. to dig say deep, on Psalm 23, uh, Ephesians 5, it's the first uh, jumping into Ephesians. <clears throat> yes, one, just to put our toe in. And then John chapter 9, 1 through 41, so <laughs> so the, all of the boy. Maybe get a sandwich. <laughs> You and that one is in your wheelhouse. You, That's what you said I, last I, week that teach you that teach that, that every yeah. semester, yeah. and that for you sort of the heart of the gospel. It you. is a kind of a distillation, a dramatization of everything John believes. Wow. So. Well, uh, make sure and like us on Facebook, and feel free to interact with us on Twitter, and and uh, send us an email questions. We'd love to love to answer some of those if you if you have some email questions. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Is that all of our social media? Is that what I'm? I'm thinking of the email. It. You touched the email. Yeah, I did the email. Yeah, Reading in church so. and Gmail. Right. Facebook and Twitter. And we don't have an Instagram. Send us a telegraph. Yeah, right. Whatever huh. you've got. Smoke signals. Anything you can do. That'd be cool. Send Keep the lines of communication open. That's right. We want to I think find, that's what I'm hearing. That's, a, that's what I'm trying to convey. So that's good. Uh, you, you were looking. No organizing principle this week that you see? Uh, uh, as some... yet, I'm not sh- quite sure why, <laughs> why these are all it's here. interesting uh, conflation of texts here. So. sense when you're in church or something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Well, maybe it'll come out. Some weeks are like that, but oh. we'll see. Well, All right. Let me read for Samuel. Yes. And uh, we haven't read anything in Samuel thus no. far, have we? No. no. Okay. First Samuel 16, 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I've rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited him to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. She's back. It's everywhere. It's like Zillig. 
Like uh, Forrest Gump of the Bible. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for he will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Good-looking guy. (laughs) Not that anyone looks on those things, as we saw earlier. (laughs) And the Lord says, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Then Samuel went out and went to Ramah. Mm -hmm. I haven't not read that in a long time. (laughs) I forgot about the Spirit coming on David right then. Yeah. This this was actually a passage that... um, I had to do for my comprehensive exams. So oh. you know, they do the Hebrew mm-hmm. translation. I had to do this one. So, oh. so some flashbacks for me. <clears throat> yes. Other than that, okay. I, I had struggles with uh, passing my German exams because they would always give me this esoteric German mysticism. Oh, gosh. <laughs> like, why don't you give me something on theology? Uh-huh. The, the one that the, the thing I still flash back about and kind of laugh to myself is the word anoint. Um, I remember I was translating, I was rolling along there and I came on this word and you know how sometimes it's your brain just, just strikes gone. You. It's just gone. Oh, oh. You know, there's nothing there. And I got this word and I'm sitting here in my mind. And I was like, I don't know what this is. What can't is this Mashiach? I don't know this word. Exactly. And then I said it out loud kind of to myself whispering in the exam and I was like, Messiah, 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 anoint you moron. You're about oh. to fail your test because you can't remember Messiah. Really? Wow. But I got, but I got it right. So yep. I'll work through. If you hear me trembling or anything, that's just probably just a flashback. Comprehensives so, are like that. I got one more. I got one more comprehensive story. I was doing. I told this sounds seems like I told someone this story recently about OJ. No. Okay. I was doing my uh, specialized comps, and oh, so that was yeah. over a, a week. And I'm not. I'm not sleeping much, and I've got this little room above our apartment in mm-hmm. Berkeley, and I'm like on, on the last night trying to get my last essay done, and. This is when OJ's in the in the Bronco oh, yeah, going yeah, up yeah. and down the highway. And my, my wife comes up. And she says, OJ's in OJ's in a in a Bronco on the the four the four hundred five. He's got a gun to his head. And first thought first thought that comes to my mind is I know exactly how he feels. <laughs> <laughs> That's dark place. It is a dark, a dark place. place. Yeah. Thomas, actually, it's funny you say that. Thomas last night was saying, Dad, you always make these jokes about graduate school. You make graduate school sound so bad. <laughs> I was like, well, there's a lot of stuff coming out of that. But um, Well, they say, did you ask people, if, did you did you like your PhD program? Like, did you choose the right one? It's like, you can't answer that question. No, no, if it was no. a PhD program, you didn't like it. Nobody likes that it work. It wasn't like it's it. It's a hard work. But we get to do things like this. Yeah, we do. See how I brought that back? Then you get to make puppet videos. I'm later. a pro. <laughs> um, one thing that comes out in this text in Hebrew that doesn't come out in English is the number of times God is making clear the choice is God's mm-hmm. that God says, um, uh, da, 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 you, I, I, the, the pronouns, you know, Hebrew is an inflected language, mm-hmm. so you don't need pronouns, don't need it, but up. all the way through in chapter verse three, there are pronouns. I myself okay. will show I, you me. yourself. 
um, what you yourself need to oh, do, and oh, you yourself will yeah. anoint for me myself the one whom I myself will name to you yourself. Really? I mean, it's like, it like that? Oh, it okay. really is doubled almost all the way through there, mm. trying to make clear. I mean, there's almost this sense like, you know what? You had your swing with Saul, all right? This time I'm picking okay. somebody. Okay. Uh, even though yeah. clearly God did, you know, bless Saul and God did, he, you get this sense that, yeah, you know what? You had your chance. Stop grieving about Saul. This time I'm picking one. And uh, and you, you're going to follow the one I'm looking. Why does it describe his outward appearance once they said God doesn't look at God doesn't things. look at appearances. Cute kid though. Oh man, <laughs> this guy could be keen. Look at he's ruddy. His beautiful eyes. But, handsome. Know, he's, but he's he did not even uh, did not seem like he would be the choice, and that he wasn't mm-hmm. even worth bringing before Samuel. Right. Right. Um, Saul looked like it. Saul was mm-hmm. Saul had everything. Saul was, was a, tall, a head taller. Yeah. He was handsome. He was from the sort of non-threatening tribe that would be able to unite the others because you know he was. You don't worry about you don't worry about somebody from the tribe of Benjamin. It was small. It was going to be you know Saul was going to be uh, David's from the tribe of Judah. This big brother tribe okay. that's going to be harder. I mean, you know how we associate certain political opinions from cert- with certain regions of the country. Yeah, you would associate that with. You know, with Benjamin, would just okay. You don't have to worry about him. He's going to do what's best for us. But Judah, you're like, oh, he's from Texas, Upper Midwest. Oh, oh he's Benjamin from, is he's like from he's from New York, Minnesota. Oh, oh, yeah, he's from yeah. Okay. Benjamin's from like from Minnesota, Ohio. Yeah, exactly. Friendly Ohio, California. You say oh, interesting, no. interesting. Hmm. Where you're associating these things no. with Judah, right? You know, this big yeah. tribe. Yeah. So he's already going to have some things working against him. But uh, yeah, he was ruddy. So. That's an interesting adjective. The assumption is maybe redheaded, mm-hmm. um, possibly. Um, Good-looking kid, but not enough that you would think he would be a first choice at all. A uh, ginger, a first choice. He's a ginger. Not likely. No, one, no one's picking a ginger, but um, but God made clear this is the person that that climate would have been hard for him. Was. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, that's those are my first thoughts. Bethlehem, of course, giving us that yeah, standard for the the king who cares about what God cares about. Mm-hmm. Right? David David does seem to care about doing what God wants. When David doesn't, he's upset that he hasn't done what God wants, and so tries to to do that. Saul didn't either didn't get it or didn't care, and I still don't know which one it is. Um, I mean, there are times it just seems like he just doesn't even understand yeah. what he's doing. Where. Yeah. Because, you know, like, at one point, the one thing that God rejected his kingship over, he says to, he sees Samuel coming, he says, look, I've done everything God asked me. Yeah. And Samuel says, well, then why do I hear animals? Yeah, so, well, why I didn't do kill I hear everybody. Yeah. I didn't kill all the yeah. things. It's like, oh. that's what God told you. What is wrong Read with you? Read the syllabus. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> I had a student once. I put Saul on the test, and, and they opened with, Saul was a Benjaminite hottie with an IQ of 55. And I was like, <laughs> wow. wow. Okay. Really? They get it. But uh, so they had read, uh, basically read him as unable to understand. Okay. But um, maybe he, maybe he wasn't, or maybe he didn't, but he didn't care about what God said. Yeah. David always did. David did worse things than Saul ever Mm. did. Hmm. But David is not rejected because David was upset by those things. When David fell short, it bothered him that he didn't do what God wanted him to do. Um, Hmm. And we can, I mean, there's a great debate as to why, but... But ultimately, it really bothered him that he didn't do what God wanted him to do. And 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 so that's, it seems, what it means to to be after God's own heart is to pursue it okay. as opposed that's to, interesting, to, yeah. to having it. You think about that as a teacher. It's like, I I know, we encounter a lot of people who have the smarts, but 
if you teach a general education course, sometimes like you right. don't, you, don't, don't you don't care about this class, right. do you? Right. I mean, I've told the students ask me what I want from them. I said, care. I can't teach I you, you to, to care. care. Yeah. I can't teach you. I can make you sorry you don't care, but I can't teach you to yeah. care. Yeah. Um, if and and David cared. It's like and solved it. steering a parked car. Yeah. Which is bad for the tires. Yeah. The um. I was just trying to think of the name of the scholar now. Uh, Tragedy and Biblical Narrative. Uh, lost Cheryl Exon wrote a book tragedy where she evaluated these old testament characters uh based on sort of the traditional tragedy comedy uh qualifications oh. you know and in her estimation Saul is a wholly tragic character in the biblical text that he has no aspects of that character that have any element of of huh. uh of good news at all okay. he is he's rejected by his own family David is chosen over that he's he ends up sort of a sad and pitiful man at the very end um, well, yeah. So he is, he is rejected for not having chosen God. So. Oh, that is sad. Hmm. Yeah. This is um, as I think read things through the lens of Luke, which I spend a lot of time in. When the, when um, the angel announces the city mm -hmm. of David, they're talking about Bethlehem. Although, right. for most of the biblical narrative and subsequent uh, tradition, it's Jerusalem. Right. So, and and when people read that, they say oh, it's already hearkening back to his more humble shepherd mm. origins rather than and maybe a hint of what kind of king we're talking about as opposed mm -hmm. to consolidation of power as a warrior in uh, in Jerusalem mm -hmm. so interesting yeah and this is the that gives you the place all the prophets want to right I mean this is Micah dreaming of a king like David mm -hmm. and uh, uh, looking back to that that's Bethlehem is the place from which Messiah would come Messiah of course meaning anointed yeah. a word that you find in the text if you're a careful reader and remember your Hebrew <laughs> You remember here, evil oh, exam. That's right. You shall anoint. Uh, Let's throw this. Let's lob this softball over the plate and see how he does with it. Swing like crazy at it. What, is, what am I supposed to do? Swing. <laughs> so. Great. Well, I can definitely see how the Psalm twenty-three would go with this. Well, yes. So we can do that. All right. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Yep. Stuff. Anything to talk about there? No? It's all good stuff. Move on? It's all uh, Unpack this. I mean, I had an opportunity. I mean, it, it, this is a good, concise psalm. Yes. That's very familiar. That is rarely read on oh. the, the levels that oh, all yeah. that it could mean. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh. Um, but woe to the pastor who doesn't read it at the graveside of, well, at a okay. funeral service. I yeah. mean, it, I, yeah. how many times that happened? Or the wrong version, I can Boy, imagine. that's true, too. Yeah. yeah. There's so much. I mean, the word, I mean, shepherd, as I said last week, is is a royal metaphor that we don't normally think of it that way. We think of it as the humble one. But but shepherd, many of the ancient Near Eastern kings, they would that metaphor would come in, oh. that they thought of themselves as shepherds. But here, I think you are right in kind of what you were talking about in in for Samuel that, that gives us a sense of the kind of king mm -hmm. that, that God wants. It is a Psalm of David. Um, I also think it's interesting that shepherd 
in Hebrew is a homophone for the word friend. Is it? Uh, they look the same, which is kind of a neat, I think, a neat picture. Um, I shall not want is fascinating because it is. It, there's no direct object. Um, oh. There's there's a global sense of that word. I mean, you, it's a word that you would normally expect to have an object. Um, yeah. I don't want water or food or it's just I. There's it's it ends up being all encompassing without that. Yeah. Direct object, which is nice. Um, green pastures and still waters. It's been a while since I looked at this, but I remember that they are uh, connected to a couple of ancient Near Eastern issues that. Um, I think in the law code of Hammurabi, it talks about green pastures and in uh, Marduk always is talking about waters that are um, resting. Uh, so I, I wonder if it's a claim of, of Godhead there when we say that, that it's not just a statement of, of shepherdly provision, hmm. but also a, a reminder that Yahweh is the one who is God in Israel, even there. Hmm. Um, restores my soul right paths i've always liked this paths there is actually the hebrew word for ruts uh these are the well-worn hmm. paths in the road okay. um, of righteousness the 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 paths of righteousness or the path the right paths are well well worn and, and you can remember you know in the ancient near east you, you never take the road not taken right you no. you, you, you go you know that this road That's is... That's the, the road not returned from. Exactly. exactly. You, you don't stay on the road that has the wagon wheels and you're going to get robbed. You're going to get animal attack. There's, you know that the roads that are well-worn are the ones that go by the oases, that go to the waters, that go to the cities, that go where you're going. Mm. You don't go blazing a path and doing your own thing. Mm. And, and so there's, there's an assurance in this that he leads me in these paths that are safe, uh. that there's provision, there's safety, that they're, they're well-worn there. Um. One of the things about this psalm, and it, I'm embarrassed, I never noticed it until I was, I mean, I had been teaching for years before I noticed it, um, and it was pointed out to me, that we have a major grammatical shift in yeah. chap, in verse 4 mm. that, that pivots on the darkest valley, um, or this, this valley oh, of deep darkness. Oh, I didn't think about the pivot. That, that the first three verses are third person yeah. talking about mm -hmm. God. And the last are second person. Yeah. So that after the darkest valley, you yeah. no longer are talking about God. You're talking to God. Yeah. Um, and, and that is, I've always found that fascinating since, yeah. I, since someone pointed it out to me. Um, yeah, I know. I, I encountered wow. that in a commentary uh, not that long ago. And, it's and, like, wow, I didn't notice that ever. And, and pivoting on this, you know, after going, talking about this darkest valley, hmm. now you are with me. And of course, I don't need to talk to a New Testament guy. You are with me. I mean, yeah. think about oh. Matthew, yeah, Emmanuel. Uh, Emmanuel. Think about uh, several passages in the Old Testament where God is, God is, I will be with you. Mm. Um, and uh, and so that notion of you are with me in the darkest valley and talking to God in the midst of this difficult time, I think is a beautiful picture. Um, again, more royal images of rod and staff, but also shepherd images. Yeah. Um, Preparing the table of enemies, anointing is also a royal image. What is that? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Well, I, the lack of, I, I'm thinking of lack of, of anxiety and, and the result. I mean, you think about hospitality and table fellowship mm -hmm. and and sharing uh, meals. Uh, you would never do that. Yeah. You, know, the, you would be afraid to do that. You don't invite enemies mm -hmm. to the table. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, okay. And, and so for me, that's I've always seen it as that issue of protection. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not reading it as a love your enemies, but I am reading it as a I have nothing to fear. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, 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 that was a real question because I know I've read something because I've never gotten anything out of it. And I read someone's comments on it, and I think it, 
if I'm remembering correctly, it's something about it's not the lack of adversity, but but abundant provision even in the face of yeah. adversity or something. Possibly, like that. possibly. Yeah. yeah. Again, like you said, it's so brief, and some of these images are just so. I mean, beautifully powerful. You can go so many ways with them. Yeah. Um, Dwell the house of the Lord all my life long, or so long as I live. Um, some translations forever, um, but it was written at a time when they were thinking of that in, within their own lifetime. So that's yeah. why the whole, whole life long. Right. So, um, yeah. It, it, what what more can you say? This is just it's so tightly put together and deep at the same time. Yeah, big fan. <laughs> Dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, mm-hmm. this is temple imagery, probably. Even though we normally there was no temple when David is around, but mm-hmm. uh, so tabernacle would work okay. at this point. But but I I think probably it would have been read and understood as temple imagery later. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I seem to remember reading someone about like there's a there's there's another level you could read it. There's the story of Israel being mm-hmm. brought into the land mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. whatnot. Is that is that a common reading or is that? Overreading, reading I might be yeah. overreading on that one. I don't. I don't go that that sort of typology, symbolic mm-hmm. reading. I, I don't typically read it that way. Um, I mean, it, it's true that the one one of the difficulties in the Psalms is the superscriptions. Um, you know, 150 Psalms. Uh, most of them, or I would say, many of them have superscriptions where they give an attribution of authorship or claim for when you would use it or a hymn tune or that kind of thing. And 73 of those 150 are, and I'll say the word, associated with David. Um, because the word that's used to associate it can be uh, of David, as in written by him, or it could be for David, or it could mm-hmm. be to David, yeah. or it could be in the manner of David. And so so could this be a psalm that was written uh, pseudonymously as a tribute to the life of David? Sure. Okay. Could it be a psalm that was written by David upon reflecting on David's life? Sure. Um, I mean, it's one of those things that the language just isn't precise enough for What are you doing, David? I'm reflecting on David's I'm life. I'm reflecting on David's life. That's so weird when he talks in the third person. <laughs> David's, gone, David's gone third person. Um, it's like he used to play in the NBA or something. Um, so, I, you know, for me, I tend to, and this is unusual for an Old Testament guy, I tend to give the superscriptions a little more... Okay. Uh, hermeneutical priority than a lot of Old Testament guys do. In fact, I'm still ir- irked that our electionary site doesn't include doesn't include those those yeah, uh, which are true. which right. are part of the text. Uh-huh. I mean, those are that is the first verse okay. in most yeah, of the that's Psalms. Interesting. Um, now I don't ever hold to that, you know, sort of slavishly. I mean, but I do think it gives you a sense of how this how this text was was read. Um, by the and sung and, and how it was thought of and so I find it valuable okay. to sort of you know yeah. I think it's significant that Psalm 90 is a psalm of Moses and it comes on the heel of what do we do having lost David well you, yeah. you turn back to Moses oh. I think that it's the same I mean these Davidic psalms uh, most of them are in the first half of the psalms um, you, you have in the first uh, I guess Psalm 72 at the end of it says the prayers of David son of Jesse are over have ended Okay. Um, but there's one in book three and two in book four and about 15 in book five. <laughs> so they weren't quite so ended. Um, so most of those early books have all these Davidic Psalms. And and so I, I tend to think of them in terms of that in Davidic. Okay. I, I would think of it less about Israel's life, but maybe about kingship more broadly. Okay. 
um, when I think about it. Because I think those early texts are really supporting Davidic kingship. Those early books, uh, book one and two, yeah, are really hanging on Davidic kingship. Well known. <laughs> the best known. Really, there's yeah, no really better known. There's no, no, yeah. there's not. Not even close. No, this is number one for the Psalms. What's number two? Uh, Psalm one, maybe. Psalm one, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a popular yeah. one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, it were, if, if I was handicapping it, I would probably say yeah. that would be the second yeah. most popular. Just, yeah, and then there's got to be a big gap yeah. between those two and then a big gap after two. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to rank. Let's rank them all. We have time. <laughs> Let's take a minute Let's and rank them. all 150 psalms in Let order of popularity. We get some three by five cards. Because we've got all the time since we're only doing John 9 <laughs> yes, right. after we do Ephesians. Right. So. Scurrying through Ephesians. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just want to scurry through Paul, don't you? That would be a better. I think you have a better chance of publishing that book, Scurrying Through Paul. Scurrying through Paul. <laughs> so. It'd be in a section of a, uh, an overview of the entire New Testament. Right. right. Oh, that wasn't very much there. Yeah, we'll look at the title. <laughs> New Testament scurry. <laughs> Are you ready to move to Ephesians? Yeah. All right. Let's just let's scurry through Ephesians it. here. Ephesians five eight We're through fourteen. Alienate all our listeners who love Paul. <laughs> yes, I guess so. For once you were darkness, um, so not in darkness. But you, you, were you were darkness. You were darkness. Wow. But now in the Lord you are light. Yeah, see? Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, sleeper awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Do you recognize that Old Testament quote? I at the don't end? actually. It's not probably not from the Old Testament. Oh, okay, good. Might I be some that. early Christian hymn. Oh, okay. Could be. That's just like he's quoting it as though they know it. Could be a little snippet there. Okay. Sleeper awake, rise from the dead. A uh, sleeping as a um, metaphor for Christian death. You know, oh, okay. Being uh, arisen. Although there's the present aspect of resurrection life here, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of odd. Uh, metaphors that we don't use fruit of light <laughs> the yeah. light the fruit of the light you know what i'm talking about yeah sure oh it works with your works with your theme of light and fruitfulness mm-hmm. so this is one of those um sections in pauline letters where your the exhortations found at the end um based upon the theology lays out in and the uh, issues he addresses in the beginning okay. and uh this is a lot less contextualized letter, and some some people suggest maybe this isn't a, uh, right from Paul's hands. But this is one of those they they say maybe the, you know all kinds of theories about that, and all kinds of reasons, and a you know, resifting of the evidence even going on now. But uh, it's less uh, overt. If it is from Paul's hand, it certainly is less overt what the what the circumstances of the church is. Yeah, you know. Well, as I understand it, the name of the church doesn't even occur in no. most of the manuscripts, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a general, almost like a, an encyclical. Or, or a circular letter. It's going to go to, to churches in, that, in a region, okay. so you might not address it. Because it's, I mean, as I, re- okay, this is flashing back, but as I recall, it's a remarkably impersonal letter for a church he spent a lot of time at, right? Uh, Ephesus. Ephesus. I mean, yes, he, Ephesus, yes, he spent a lot of time right. in Ephesus, and this that letter doesn't have would be the longest a lot of personal time he's ever spent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's probably more personal stuff in Romans, and he never visited. Romans. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's an odd. It's odd. Yeah, there's not real specific and personal stuff yeah. about 
the church or specific individuals and yeah. specific challenges, which yeah. is usually the occasion. So this has a different character to it. Um, and, uh, it's a, yeah, it's a real distillation of, of, of theology. So, because, because what you, what you end up with, as opposed to those very specific problems he's dealing with, like in a letter like Corinth or, or Thessalonica or something like that, it's very much, uh, it's all theology and, uh, it's not all, um, and it, it doesn't quite ring as much pastoral theology. Here's an issue in the church and here's, here are the mm. resources we can yeah. draw upon. It's almost like here's an abundance of resources in Christ, and it's just very kind of relishing in that. And then there's some exhortation on how you live in light of that. So it's a very, I don't know, I always experience it as a very positive, uh, mm-hmm. uh, just an uplifting letter. Is it is it, in your mind, easier than, I mean, easier to understand than Romans in some ways, which would have been written as a general I yeah I think the this the by the length of it oh, but well, yeah. but it does but the it, arguments I guess is what I'm thinking Yeah it's not it's not as much a sustained argument but there are some sustained metaphors as okay. you go through and so um you could get lost because of that I mean cuz we don't usually think about fruit of light but if he's talking yeah. about light in this section this part of the exhortation living uh, in the light as children of light then then that's such a front and center metaphor that you can use other things like yeah. fruitfulness and it, it's funny you mention that because the way in which light is being handled here in a way that we don't normally think about it in genesis one um the the way that genesis one is structured it's not poetic it's not poetry but it is poetic right that's mm-hmm. the way i would normally say it because it is incredibly structured text and the two words that sort of define that structure in genesis one are uh the earth was uh, formless and empty or 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 shapeless and barren um, tohu vabohu, the mm-hmm. rhyme actually in Hebrew. Um, and the first three days give shape, and the last three days, or the next three days, um, fill. So you, you make the containers on day one through three, and you put stuff in the containers on day four through six. So mm-hmm. day one, you create light, and day four, you get the sun and the moon and the stars. And day two, you get the heavens and the waters, and day five, you get the air animals and the water animals, you know, birds and fish. And then day three, you make land, and day six, you make people and cattle. And so I always go through this, you know, well, you're making the containers, and then you're putting stuff in the containers. And, of course, inevitably, some student asks, what does a container of light look like I was gonna say. before you put stuff in it? And I went, yeah, uh, this should help us understand that Genesis 1 is probably not dealing with these things the way that you normally think of these things yeah, being dealt with. Yeah. Being very creative in the way it uses the language, particularly with regard to light. We don't normally think of light as no. bearing fruit, no. but we don't think yeah, of light as a container either. There's a lot um, of things. Like when Jesus gets into the light, the light when he talks about the um, light imagery and your eye, and if you if you mm-hmm. have if your eyes lit, lit, then your whole body is light, and it's like, they're not thinking about light like I'm thinking about. They're not right. thinking about eyes. It's almost thinking about an eye as a lamp. The eye is mm-hmm. a lamp of the body. And if your eye is whole, then your whole body is full of light. And they almost think about eye as the origin of the light. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. It's like that's not how we think about light. That's true. That's true. Yeah. What am I going to do with all this light? I wish I had a container. <laughs> how many times <laughs> have light, you a light container? said that? <laughs> yes, the light container. I do want to say that backing up a bit, yes. I went to a a costume party with a friend, and I was Tohu, and he was Vabohu. Was he real? No, you <laughs> were. Sounds not. like the worst costume party ever. No, you d- <laughs> yes, what? you didn't. Yes, was it some sort of theological costume party? It was church related. <laughs> how do you? How do? Okay, now I need to know. How do you dress like we were Tohu? Punks. We were punks. You were punks. This is in the eighties, so. 
formless and void. And yeah, anyway, it didn't, it didn't go over so well. I see. Did you dress like your parents didn't understand you? Is that what it was? This is who I am, mom. I, I have deep thoughts. <laughs> this is not a phase. This is not a this phase. This is who I am. <laughs> Unlike last week. <laughs> right. Thing of what I am. Wow. All right. Well, that that may very well be the nerdiest costume. I know that ever. sounds nerdy. It's an Old Testament nerdiest costume. I can't even compete. I with know that. it's it was uh, questionable. Wait, or not a lot of thought went into it. It's like let's eh, uh, rip clothes and throw paint on them or something. Ranks. I mean, I I always go with you know whenever we're at some group and somebody's okay. I need a name from the Bible, and I always go Mahershal Hashbaz. Um, which, but I can't. That's not close to competing with going to, dressed as Tohu. <laughs> that is. Um, that sounds so nerdy. That's unbelievable. Didn't, didn't think it was nerdy, but now when I tell the story, it sounds man, that sounds nerdy. <laughs> I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be thinking about that for a while. I'm not, not known as lie. a nerd either. I'm so go- you weren't known as a nerd. No. Uh-uh. Okay. Uh. I'll choose to believe that at this time. <laughs> well, they might have. They, yeah, if they someone would say, "Oh, you guys came as punks," and if we explain it, they go, "Oh, you're nerds." <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I think I, I think I need to go talk to other people at this point. <laughs> well, is there anything here that you want to say? Uh, We've said you've said a lot, but I mean, <laughs> clearly, it, it, it seems clearly to, I've said a lot. Th- th- we're scurrying more than normal. This here, really but, is. Um, what you'll find at the end of a, uh, a Pauline letter, these exhortations, and this is okay. very much uh, about this section. Uh, begins in 8 and ends in 14. He's really using the the light imagery to fundamentally talk about this this new life and how you're determined. It, it, it's going to go very nicely with uh, how John talks about it in mm-hmm. John 9, uh, the use of light as a metaphor for salvation and uh, living accordingly. Probably a good segue to John 9 then, huh? Which is the entire other side of the page. And and this is, for you, the center of John. And Well, it is a place, it's, a, it's unique because Jesus is not on stage, so to speak. This is the longest he goes off stage right. in the he book. Right, he steps off stage. So it, it, draw, it captures your attention. And uh, here is someone who is embodying some of the themes we get at the beginning of John mm-hmm. about creation sort of imagery and darkness, but light comes into the world and... Jesus is the light that aligns all of humanity uh, and uh, all of humankind, and and the, that is very propositional. It's not. It's poetic, but it's not. It's not dramatic. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to. You can read it as poetry. You can read it as a narrative. But this is a dramatic um, narrative of uh, a larger than life individual whose story is a common story within the the. Johannine way of thinking about what's, mm-hmm. how salvation is experienced. Well, do you want to tell the story or do you want me to read the story? Might as well read the story. You want me to read the story? Yeah. Okay. Well, you can go get a cup You're of You're a fast reader. You I read am. about one third faster than I do. <laughs> okay. I did never put the numbers down. I'm glad well, to have we numbers. Well, we were asking, we were that, crunching yeah. the numbers. Like, how long does it take you to give a 20 minute sermon? I, I, I mean, well, how long? No. How many words in yours? And yours, 3,000. And I, I can yeah. say about 2,000 words in 20 minutes without. I, I talk kind of fast, which mm-hmm. I imagine at this point people have recognized that mm-hmm. have listened to our podcast. I learned to speak in Detroit. And so. I'm otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've listened. So uh, as he walked along, I'm assuming this is Jesus. That this we, is Jesus. Okay. Yeah. As he, he walked is in along, the beginning and the end. He saw, <laughs> he saw a man blind from birth. 
didn't see him. Uh, he his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? And the blind man said, Hey, I'm blind, not deaf. <laughs> Quit talking about me. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Oh my gosh, it wasn't even one of the choices. They're perfect. Uh, he was born oh, blind yeah. so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he said this, he spat on the ground. <laughs> that should make his point. <laughs> Some translations have. <laughs> and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes. Some warning would have been nice. <laughs> Say, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He's like, yeah. <laughs> Which means scent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then he went and... Siloam doesn't mean scent. Uh it, it, okay. Shaliach means scent, right? So it doesn't have the right vowels there. S I. I mean, have the right it, consonants. My understanding: those consonants are the words for shalom. Yeah, is this Aramaic? Uh, maybe, mm. but normally Aramaic is close enough; it would still mean yeah. shalom. Hmm. Anyway, well, we probably should have looked that up. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> then he went and washed, um, and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who'd seen him before as a beggar began to ask, "Is this not the man who used to sit and beg?" Some were saying, it's he. Others were saying, no, but it's someone like him. There's always two camps. Um, he kept saying, I'm the man. But they kept asking him, then how are your eyes open? He answered, this man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought the Fer they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Like, I've got a name. Uh, now it was <laughs> no, the, he doesn't. no, he doesn't. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he received his sight. He said to them, "He put mud on my eyes. Then I washed, and now I see." Uh, some of the Pharisees said, "This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath." But others said, "How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs?" And they were divided again. Mm -hmm. There's always two camps. Mm -hmm. So they said again to the blind man, "What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened." He said, "He's a prophet." The Jews did not believe that he'd been blind and had received a sight until they called the parents of the man who received a sight and asked, "Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he see?" His parents answered, "We know that this is our son." And that he was born blind. But we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He answered, I don't know whether he's a sinner. One thing I do know, though, that though I was blind, now I see. They said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I already told you, and you would not listen. It's increasingly spunky, blind man. <laughs> Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? He asked with a wry smile. Uh, that was editorialized. Uh, then they reviled him, saying, you're his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, here's an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person who's been blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins. Are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. It's my life verse. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when they found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He said, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You've seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. 
Jesus said, I came to this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do not who those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said, Surely we're not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. All right. Mic yeah. drop and off the stage he goes. <laughs> yeah. And uh then he goes, I think he goes into the Good Shepherd discourse. Okay. Which is interesting because he's he he hasn't this guy hasn't met Jesus, but he gets kicked out of a synagogue and Jesus goes and finds him. Mm-hmm. I go, that would since people were actually being kicked out of synagogues at the end of the first century, that would be that would be touching, you know. For, yeah. This is kind of a level at the life of the church. Oh, yeah. And he goes and finds him. So this it does read like a like a drama, like a Greek play. People coming and going off stage, groups or individuals, and and I have my students read it as a as a drama. I highlight different parts and make them volunteer and then tell them they're going to come up and read yeah. <laughs> after the fact. I preached on this once in my church and and. Uh, they they dramatized it rather than, oh, than read it. And it's like, oh, that worked well. We have a lot of very talented people yeah. uh, who d- did a great job. So, yeah, it reads it reads that way. And it's interesting when uh, sometimes I prep it by saying, listen for Genesis and creation imagery because it's just replete in this. Mm. In this is a lot, you know, about Sabbath and making mud, mm. eyes being mm. opened, sin, guilt, work. Uh, Sabbath, yeah. judgment, um, create, yeah, just on and on and on. And uh, if you think you hear it, it's probably there because it's just it's it's all over the place. But also, uh, the, the starting point is is sin and guilt. There's there's this man born blind. There must be some sin and guilt involved here too. At the end, the presupposition is quite the opposite. It's the like, opposite, right? Yeah. And so, how do we get there? What does that mean in the mm-hmm. John scheme mm-hmm. of things? So. That usually is a lot for people to think about, and then we kind of walk through it and talk about this. It's very, very interesting, and it has this this sort of sandwich structure where themes are introduced at the beginning and at the end, mm-hmm. sin and guilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, where is Jesus? Where is he? Who is Jesus? Where is he from? Kind of second secondary. And then uh, the, at the middle, there's a trial. Uh, there's, there's often trial language from the very beginning of John's gospel with uh, John the Baptist showing up as a witness. Right. He doesn't baptize Jesus. He's a witness and gives testimony. And although we shout that in our churches, that is trial language. Yeah. Um, and then this guy gets put on trial, and uh, his parents don't help him out that much, as we yeah. mentioned last week. Um, so this guy is... An encounter of Jesus' ministry, it is, you could say, he embodies, a lot of what's going on here embodies what the church is going through at the mm-hmm. end of the first century, mm-hmm. the yeah. more formalized division of the ways between Judaism and uh, followers of Jesus, and this, both of them contending to be the true Israel. Um, but also, um, his story, his journey, is is the quintessential human experience of salvation in a gospel that talks about salvation as receiving light, where salvation is so often characterized as as a, an act of revelation or an act of creation, a final yeah. act of creation. So having both Christians and, and uh, both the Christian Testament, the Hebrew Testament, talk about salvation as an act of creation or yeah. the final act of creation. Yeah. And in John's gospel, the final word from the cross is it is finished. Mm-hmm. So just uh, an amazing kind of uh, distillation of so many Johannine themes in one drama where where Jesus is off the stage for most of the mm-hmm. most of this very long chapter. When I was in uh, in college, my New Testament professor said that he loved this text because of the humor. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, I didn't see the humor. Yeah, I didn't know right? what I was yeah. like. I didn't recall laughing uh-huh. when I went through here. But for him, the blind man is yeah. hysterical to him. The, okay. the, the teaching the the Jews to the real. Did you, were you interested in being his disciples? Yeah. This sort of snarky. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you also. Well, um, and then revealing something about himself. I like me. You know. Yeah. I'm I'm his disciple now. This yeah. tra- this trajectory from a, this lump of clay that people talk about. In his presence, which is yeah. no fun, right. to one who is worshiping Jesus by the end. He's worship. He's doing what disciples and some Thomas has to put his hands in the in the wounds, be- right. and then he worships Jesus. So right. this guy's gotten there on the span of forty verses. Right. So it's this incredible trajectory, and then there's another trajectory of the Pharisees descending into darkness. Yeah. And 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 they're, they're kind of groping, like, "What did he do to you?" This is about the third, fourth time he's told him, mm-hmm. like. Um, they do seem to get further away as you go, don't yeah, they? I mean, yeah, they're, they're actually seeking at the beginning, uh-huh. and then in the middle, they're like, "Well, you know, look, we know Moses." And then by the end, it's they're saying we're blind. Yeah, yeah. they're they're befuddled, like they're 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 grope, almost like they're groping in the dark by the end. It's like, yeah. what did he do? Well, if there's anything that's that's repeated, he what did he do? Yeah, he washed mud. He put mud on my eyes, and I washed and came home seeing. I mean. One of the things I take a he, he gets pithier as he goes too, right? He opens with this man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, said, "Go to Salome and wash." Then I went and washed and received my sight. But by the end, it's yeah. He I went to he's yeah. boy. We're done. And yeah, we've he, done this. I've told you the story. This we've seen this movie. Yeah, right. So, wow. And and this guy is not having further encounter with Jesus, but he's being true to his experience. Yeah. And um, I mentioned the seminar I had when I was doing my PhD with uh, Sandra Schneider's, which is one of my probably my all-time favorite class and just an interesting mix of people. Mm-hmm. There was someone in that seminar who was, um, he had a PhD in psychology and an active practice. And he said, this is a, did I talk about this? This no. is essentially his, I taught this just last week in New Testament. So it's very fresh. This is essentially his practice. He says, I try to get people to be true to their experience. Mm-hmm. And most people filter or, or act how they think people want, want them, them to, to be. be because they don't want to be rejected. Right. And uh, I said that if you boil down what I do as a psychologist, it's getting, it's trying to get people to where this guy is to being true to his experience. And then people grow when they're true to themselves and they're true to their true, truly reflecting their own life experience and, and owning that. And, mm-hmm. and we see that this guy is just saying over and over what, what mm-hmm. he experienced. And, uh, and growing, you know, there's a lot he doesn't know. And he becomes, uh, he says, this guy is from God. He's a prophet. I'm his disciple. By mm-hmm. the end, he's worshiping Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's kind of kind of extraordinary. And, of course, there's a lot of irony all the way through. As a, you know, in a, in a Jewish context, uh, a trial would take place at a synagogue. You wouldn't go to a mm-hmm. Roman court. And uh, what they would say is, give glory to God rather than put your hand on the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, give glory to God. It's like, well, that's exactly what he's been. This man's right. from God. Give glory to God. Yeah. You know, this guy's not from God. Give glory to God. I, I just I did that. I was done. Hello. <laughs> yeah. This is a God thing. I love his the, the translation in verse thirty. Here's an astonishing thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. He gets spunky. <laughs> he yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. He. That's one of the things that Crockett thought was so funny. There. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, he really comes into this. You know, he's this full blown character mm-hmm. uh, by the end. Yeah, it is an extraordinary thing. You know, this this is the more active kind of miracle, healing miracle. There are only a couple of times, right, where he does in the, in the tellings of the Gospels where 
you get the means by which the healing happened uh, oh, uh -huh. with the mud mm -hmm. and the spit. Yeah. Um, and Mark, he has to do it twice, doesn't he? Um, yeah, there is an occasion where he, he heals. The, the, the begin, before he begins that turn toward the journey to Jerusalem, yeah. there is a healing of blind man, and he says, well, tell me what you see. Look, People look like trees, trees. walking around. Okay. And people read that within Mark's narratives, like, oh, here's a, someone who's partially there. Like the disciples, they need more teaching, mm -hmm. and that it takes, okay. also takes place in this journey on the way to, gotcha. to the cross. Here it is evoking it's... creation and mm -hmm. language. And, mm -hmm. and also Christian tradition, because you're talking about 70 years into Christian tradition, and sent one, Shalom, it's fr I, that's I Jesus' that name. Shaloa is, it's... it's those aren't the consonants. Oh, okay. it, there's apparently in the transliteration of it, oh. it comes out soloum. Okay. Um, but the word yeah. does actually originally mean sent. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry. Please continue. Sent is how Jesus refers to himself. The sent one. Yeah. He con continually refers to himself in the. That's one of his favorite titles. The one sent from God. Mm -hmm. And so going and washing in a pool John, of someone called in John yeah. in someone named in something called sent is very reminiscent of, of baptism. Uh, now, John encourages that kind of reading, that symbolic kind of reading. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not encourage you to read them that way. He gives you all kinds of clues and cues that, oh, we're going to read this way. And as we read even something like last week, the uh, the woman at the well, the simple things have deeper meanings and mm -hmm. symbolic meanings. And, and that's the case here, that we're encouraged to hear this guy's story as the Christian trajectory or that, begin, that beginning um, – of uh, one's journey as a disciple, mm -hmm. um, washing in the in the pool. Um, in fact, a lot of those exhortations you find at the end of a Pauline letter, those aren't unconnected to other exhortations. He's basically arguing based upon your your baptism. He's reminding people of their baptism at the end of those lessons. Here's how you should live. It's often um, and so an now exhortation. following and let's use that term following baptism. You can see. Mm -hmm. That's when you can truly light. See. That's it's when often you are darkness, part of the light, light from putting darkness. on Christ, yeah. putting on these uh, virtues and acts of compassion and, and this way wow. of living. And so the, in, in John, it's um, the world's in darkness and uh, the world needs light to come into it. But that's okay because Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light. Okay. Now, the, the, the flip side of that is you say, I'm fine. I don't need light. Mm -hmm. When you're stumbling around in the darkness and you're groping, mm -hmm. it's like that's when the judgment comes. And whereas you have the you have creation language, you have um, judgment language at the end. You have a lot of uh, mm -hmm. creation imagery, and Jesus is clearly coming into the world to to do acts of creation. But the flip side of that coin, if you reject that, you experience that reality as creation. And people say John collapses time, and it's like, don't worry about this man, his parents, or theirs, or theirs, or theirs, all the way back to Eden. You know, mm -hmm. it reminds you of, I shouldn't, I, if, if I'm on my game in class when I'm lecturing, I say, look for creation slash fall language. Yeah, okay. Okay. So the debate is a very human centered debate. Like, this man or his parents, neither. It's a God thing. He makes a, it takes a very human argument makes it a very theological argument. But he's saying, don't worry about way back then. Let's talk about now. And don't worry about the future judgment. It takes things from creation to judgment. It says, let's talk about right now because light's coming to the world. What are you going to do with mm -hmm. that? You need to render mm -hmm. a verdict on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the future is now, past creation is now. Everything in John is now. Mm -hmm. And so the crisis, the only thing you need to worry about is that light is coming to the world. Christ is coming to the world. Mm -hmm. 
how are you going to respond to that? And some people respond positively and uh, experience that as new creation. But to reject light is to mm-hmm. the only thing kind of left. The other side of the coin is to experience that as judgment. Well, and, you know, and it's one more opportunity that Jesus has to actually address the issue of theology, excuse me, theodicy. That he completely changes the conversation. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, oh, yeah. the disciples are wanting to know. So, you know, why do bad things happen? Yeah, Jesus. Right. Um, it's yeah. like, you know what? God can work in these bad things. It's, it's like, a perennial it, debate. Hello. <laughs> that wasn't the question, Jesus. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, the same thing. You know, why did the tower fall on or the pilot killed or the whatever? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Jesus always. Yeah. Well, you never Perhaps know. It's a better question. Never know. Yeah, here's a better question. Yeah. Yeah. So. Boy, it would have been nice to get that answer. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's a, that's an ongoing answer, and there was there was a rabbinic debate back then. There were schools that say, um, "No, you're not. You don't bear the guilt of other people's sins. You only bear your own guilt." And others say, "No, no, of course you do." They point to different scriptures, and and so a baby being born into the world blind would seem to kind of tip the scales toward one of those arguments, yeah. right? Like, but there are actually rabbinic. Uh, there's records of these debates. One school says a baby can sin in the womb. Uh, right. <laughs> Which right. teaches us, once you've staked out your theological territory, you're willing to say any stupid thing <laughs> to, to win the argument. Like, for example, you know, having children as men when a man has a baby. Yeah, well, yeah, mm-hmm. right. Men giving birth. We talked about last week. Yeah. Yeah. So it is uh, It is one of those places where you realize this is a simple story on one level. On the other hand, it's like it's as deep as it gets. Right? Yeah. And if you if you're following the sandwich structure, the the thing that the middle was kind of odd that the, it's the parents show up at his trial and don't do a thing for him. Yeah, and it was an odd thing to structure a a chapter around. It's like a big build up to nothing. But in the Johannine scheme of things, your parents can't do anything for you. But this type of birth, this is a birth that comes from God. Okay, uh, your parents don't give you that. Uh, this they really can't testify on his behalf because this is a. His own encounter, this is his own experience. He has to talk about that experience. And and uh, he's had this new birth experience from God. And uh, parents can't st- wow. speak, so speak for this that. This is so funny because, you know, you go through, and, and I know for me growing up, the whole um, you must be born from above mm-hmm. John 3 conversation for me was a John 3 conversation. Yeah. Right? And then we talk about living water and then we talk about – but. You know, you're giving me a way in which I'm reading John that's showing that that's actually being unpacked all the way through, yeah, all the, way through the gospel. Mm-hmm. That that being born from above is what we're emphasizing by the parents coming here, right? And, and right. The, I mean, it's really this is really the Nicodemus argument, sort of lived out. Yeah, and I mean, the Nicodemus, we, we, well, we read last week, we read two weeks ago, Nicodemus, and then and then woman at the well, which right. is matrimonial. And yeah. then birth language is an, is an off the offspring of that the uh, on next yeah. progression. There's this very interesting progression. Yeah. It's unpacking this new birth, which in the prologue in the same structure, the center of that chiastic or inverted parallelism is to those to as many as received him, he gave power to become children of God, not mm. born of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but born of God. Mm. So it's like. That is so central. Yeah. This new birth, you must be born again. That is such a central thing to John's gospel. It's and, not just a John 3 thing. And again, the Jews aren't understanding that. I mean, the, the Jewish leaders are mm-hmm. not understanding that. Yeah. Right? I mean, the yeah. Nicodemus doesn't get it in John 3. And here in John 9, the leaders of the synagogue, don't, they just don't seem to That's, get that. 
and and it is and it is say Jews in 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 John's Gospel and they mean Jewish leaders, okay? Because yeah. everyone's Jewish, everyone's okay? In this, Jewish story. in this story, and some some translations, I think a, a, a contemporary German translation calls Judean leaders because they're oh. very sensitive to right, what right. kind of language we're going to use to talk about Jewish issues. Yeah, I would think that's a wise <laughs> choice for your translation. Yeah, so the Judeans are Jewish leaders. And um, no, they don't get it. They don't get it. And at one level, you could say this is the debate between the church and the synagogue at this point. Uh, it's like, who's the true Israel? Who's really responding to the mm-hmm. revelation of God? Mm-hmm. And so it's a debate with Jewish leadership at, at another level. Yeah. So an extraordinary chapter that, that uh, I know I said John 4 is extraordinary chapter, but yeah. here's, has a, here's a characteristic the uh, distinctive chapter. Well, that, you know, it's it's again that the extraordinary chapters here come from the marginalized, right? Mm-hmm. The extraordinary chapter comes from the Samaritan woman who's mm-hmm. at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the chain, yeah. uh, social chain, and now the blind beggar who's at the bottom of the social. Yeah. I don't know who's yeah. who's lower, the yeah. Samaritan woman That's, or uh, the they, Jewish blind beggar. They could probably argue about that. <laughs> that would that would be a contest at who's on the social register at the bottom, uh-huh. but but from the marginalized, right? The outsider. Yeah. The, the one at the bottom of social understanding, they're the ones that provide us the most, mm-hmm. the, the clearer, they have the clearest understanding of who Jesus is mm-hmm. in this text. In a proper response. And, and respond yeah. properly, yeah. And, and both of them uh, progressing so much over the course of the, what, that one episode, okay? This guy yeah. is worshiping Jesus. That woman... He's uh, being talked about at the beginning, yeah. and he is worshiping and confessing it, by right. the end, yeah. right? And the woman is this outcast who sounds the most like an apostle and is doing the work of an apostle by the end. So it's yeah. like, wow, you cover a lot of ground pretty Outcast quickly. from the Jewish perspective, not necessarily from yeah. the Samaritan. I don't want to, yeah. wouldn't want to fall victim of crucifying her yeah. again. But yeah. Yeah. That she's speaking in, like an apostle and leaves, you know, come, and again, comes to draw water and leaves the, the bucket. That's mm-hmm. not the important. And here mm-hmm. talked about, but then everything yeah. changes. Yeah. So. <laughs> he doesn't even have a name though. And no. neither did she. Well, and, yeah, in this one, I could see this is a, his experience is our experience. So I could see okay. not giving a name. I'm the guy who used to be blind. You know, then that's basically all he. That's his name. That's all he talks about. Mm. <laughs> that's def, defining. That's that's, that's entire so, definition. I mean, I don't know when I heard it years ago that, that this this notion that named named individuals in gospels likely came on and became believers that that's why you have their names in the story mm. i mean i don't know i heard okay. that someplace and so you know i'm coming from a perspective of you know exodus where you don't name pharaoh because by not mm-hmm. naming this man who thinks he's god yeah. you're insulting him yeah um but here not naming the samaritan not naming the man born blind gives you the ability to to i don't want to say what do, what do i want to say uh, they're larger than life. Yeah, they're they, more than just that individual. They become, they become more representative for, yeah. for as you said, the personal faith journey and experience. Uh-huh. This is, a universal. This is this is, right. a, this is the universal trajectory, which is probably okay. And that would be also in keeping with the beloved disciple, right? Mm-hmm. Who's never named, right? Because that's the universal proper response. Uh, yeah, his yeah. experience can be our experience. Yeah. Not, I'm special. I'm beloved. Right. Like no, everyone can fill that role right yeah yeah and and on the other hand in synoptics there's an amazing amount of named individual an amazing amount of named women right and if you read ancient literature women aren't named that much right right and so it's like wow this is really different um and 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 that's significant so this is really a different kind of narrative 
uh, the synoptics tricky friend, as I say. Yeah, uh, it's very tricky. tricky. Where where you have yeah, I was just thinking when with the Easter morning, right? You've got Joanna and Mary. I mean, oh, this list of women in Luke that are going off to fix what the men did. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and then. Yeah. Here we don't even get these these amazing yeah. paragons, and we don't even get their names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's a feature. Yeah, not, not that's a, bug. a feature. It's not, not a because bug. they were. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's I oh, think that's, so. It's very helpful. Yeah. Wow, I that was a pretty efficient considering. Yeah, actually, I'm impressed <laughs> that you've kept it to that since I I know you have spent three hour classes this on John takes on this text. We're just going to do this, and then we'll we, that'll be the class. It's like, sorry for keeping you after again. <laughs> Remember all those times I'm late? I'm making it up for you. We're doing it all at once tonight on John 9. Yeah. That's great. It's, it's, a, it's a gem. It's a gem. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Um, hope that you will continue to uh, engage. Make sure and engage with us on Facebook or Twitter at Reading in Church or send an email to uh, readinginchurch at gmail.com. Yep. Ask a, ask a question. Um, ask a follow-up question. Absolutely. We're happy no. to go back and that was that was quick. Revisit that. If we're doing our job right, we're raising more questions and answering. So, I hope so. Uh, that you know, that's this is a good time for me to to share. When I was in November uh, in November at the SBL, uh, went to a, a session where the individual was talking about one of the difficulties they have with these radical uh, militant Christian fundamentalists in Africa who are using the biblical text to justify acts of violence uh-huh. and victories and such and, and talking about the struggles. And uh, he had this wonderful statement. Uh, he said, you know, the, the problem is that when we as scholars read the text, uh, it makes us ask questions. Um, these people were um, reading the text to find answers they like to the questions they have. Uh, um, uh, so that was the differences wow. in their approaches to the Bible. I hope that hmm. when we're doing this, hmm. it's bringing more questions. And yeah. and if it is, you feel free to ask them. We're happy to to engage in that and clarify things that you might uh, worry about the implications of what we said. We're happy to unpack right. that for you. And if you if you are listening to the podcast and then engaging in acts of violence, let's give us an opportunity to clarify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just please please understand that the, the historic Anabaptist peace denomination member here and and then myself who has come to nonviolence later in my Christian walk uh, would say that's a bad reading of our yeah, that, podcast. Let's yeah. <laughs> uh, nuance that reading. Well, have a great week. Thanks for listening. Thanks what? for continuing with us through this journey through Lent. Yeah. Blessings. Blessings.